Hello, Unruffled listeners. So we have produced a year's worth of content and have approximately 125,000 downloads to date. We can hardly believe it. We would like to give you, our listeners, the opportunity to help us continue to put out quality, meaningful content, but we have a big ask. We are both mothers and creative soulmates. We are multi-passionate and have many projects going on at once and feel like this is the right time to ask for some support. We talk a lot on our show about valuing your creative work and it's time we walk our talk. This is where you come in. So we've set up a Patreon account and your generous Patreon donations will help us to pay for hosting fees, better equipment, and assist us in our dedication to keep showing up here every week. In the future, we hope to take our show on the road and offer creative workshops in select cities across the United States, maybe even interview a few of our guests in person. In order to make any of this happen, we foresee the need to generate some revenue from the show. We believe that our listeners want to support us, so we're hoping that you can help us make these dreams become a reality. Our ask isn't huge. We're some sensible girls, right? We're really just asking for a dollar pledge per episode. That's $4 a month, less than a large decaf vanilla latte from Starbucks. A total steal, if you ask me. We'd love to offer some perks in the future, but first we need to get this campaign off the ground. We can circle back and check with you all later in the year to see what, if any, perks sound good to you. And we're just so grateful for our listeners, and we hope that we continue to earn your support. You can find our campaign on patreon.com backslash the unruffled podcast. Thanks, guys. The recovery revolution will be podcast on the Since Right Now Addiction Recovery Network. This is the Unruffled Podcast, episode 53. This is a podcast about recovery through creativity. We live an intentional life. We thrive. I am Sandra Primo. And I'm Tammy Salas. And we are The Unruffled. Good morning. Good morning and happy birthday. It is our podcast one year birthday. I know. I can't believe it's been a year. I can't either. I cannot believe it's been a year. Uh, I was looking back at my notes and looking like when we used to have our phone dates and I used to take notes when we were talking and uh, just all the sweet things that we would, you know just discuss and dream. And it was like, just so awesome to look back and see like where we're at right now, kind of have that reflection. I know, I know, I know. I haven't gone back and listened to any early episodes. Maybe I will before this airs. Maybe I'll go back and listen to the first one just for fun. But um, yeah, it's crazy. And I feel like it's just flown by too uh, somewhat like I can even like I can go back and think about all the individual episodes but more so I see it with a bird's eye view like I'm just seeing it now as one whole thing and 
oh, I'm just so proud of us. I am so proud that we have shown up for each other, um, for the show, for our listeners. It's really been a great uh, creative practice to commit to doing this and to being accountable to one another too. You really helped me stay on track and, um, and committing to doing this every week and not missing a week has been, yeah, has been, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been one of those things, right? It's been a lesson of doing things when you don't feel like it, Mm -hmm. doing it when there's technical difficulties, doing it when we don't know what we're going to (laughs) say. Yeah. All of those things. (laughs) It's hard. It is hard to go back and listen to episodes. For me, I went back and preparing for the show, I just listened to a couple like snippets from the early days and it was hard to go and listen and just, um, I don't know, to hear our own voices too sometimes is very, or my, I can speak for myself, my own voice. It feels like, uh, is that what I sound like? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've finally gotten over that. I think I've, I've finally gotten over that, but, um, yeah, just, uh, I don't know like I'm doing right now, struggling for words, still struggling for words. (laughs) Well, it's like, well, I think I was sharing with you before the show, you know, we had this little talk before the show too, which we should probably just record that from the get go. And just that would help us just go. (laughs) Right. But just thinking about, um, you know, how we wanted to frame things and what we wanted this podcast to be about. I think both of us were just really on the same page from the get go. Yeah. That was what was so nice about the two of us. Like we were, um, not that we have to be the same, but we were on the same wavelength because, you know, we both make different things, but our thought process about how we wanted to stay more in a solution on this show or try to kind of, um, not stay in a drunk log. Mm-hmm. Um, I just remember our, I'm looking at our, our first notes of talking about, um, the creative process is what we wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. And, um, I have like, uh, dancers, authors, writers, photographers, artists, musicians, like those were our kind of like, we have, we want to pull from that group. And that is how it started. But I do think our conversations lately have morphed and changed into the, into some people that we want to interview that we want to hear from. Um, I don't know how you would even put it. Just, I want to hear from the modern woman about what yeah. her struggle is and what her, and the, how she creates her life or how she creates her days. Right. I mean, I think we've stayed consistent in that all of our guests are creative in some way. Mm -hmm. Their creativity might not look uh, like what you would typically think of when you think of creativity. Mm -hmm. But I think everybody that we've had on this show is definitely creative in their own way. And like you said, they've definitely created a new life for themselves. Yeah. And that's what I think I find inspiring when I listen to other podcasts. I always am trying to get that nugget or that kind of, where's that connection with the person that they're interviewing? I may not be, you know, a social psychologist, but I'm listening to somebody going that is a social psychologist and going, Oh, that resonates with me. I either what she's saying or how she's speaking or what she's, um, what her research is in. Like, I, I like, um, I don't have to be exactly like that person in order to get something out of the interview. Right. That's what I'm hoping our listeners are finding. Like, they're not a music. They're not a musician, but yet they they will hear something that will that will click for them. Right. I think what we have done though too is try to stay uh, within what we think 
our listeners would like, even though in the beginning we didn't have any listeners, but right. we had imagined <laughs> listeners. Right. Our make-believe listeners. Yes. We knew what we wanted to hear in a podcast. And so we've really stri- tried to stay true to that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I have people that reach out to me all the time. And frankly, just some people aren't a good fit, aren't going to be a good fit. And we know that. Because we, I think we really are secure in knowing our listeners, knowing who our audience is. And, um, you know, we're always, always open for suggestions. As a matter of fact, this whole entire podcast is going to be uh, answering questions from our listeners. So we definitely yes. always open to, open to suggestions or, or ideas for topics or pitches or, or all of the above, but, um, we definitely have some discernment. We think about you guys when we choose our guests. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not, um, someone had reached out to me, a listener recently was saying, um, a little bit that she thought this podcast was, uh, excluding other people that were in recovery. And I was like, oh, and, you know, and, and we only talk about recovery from alcohol. And I was like, well, because that's what's in our wheelhouse. Right. <laughs> that We can speak from that place. I don't know that I can speak from a lot of other places. And so to have yeah. a podcast where I'm going to pontificate about, you know, um, being a cancer survivor or having, um, you know, diabetes, I don't have those things. That is not in my frame of, um, of reference. I don't, I don't, I don't have that. Um, experience to draw from. So yeah, definitely this show is about recovery from alcohol, but there are cross addictions. There's people we're going to be talking to that have um, other things going on that they were happy that they share. And I think they have like Taryn, we just had Taryn. Sure. She shared, you know, her experience and drugs were a part of that and codependency. And so I think that um, it organically morphs and can include more things, but yeah, the foundation of the show is for, um, is that we're struggling from alcohol addiction and how we're recovering and what's solutions for that. So that, that, that will stay the focus of the show mm-hmm. um, and how we find uh, creative outlets to kind of help fill that void that was uh, taken away when, or that it was created when we stopped drinking. Mm-hmm. So I, I and the mission is, is strong. <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't think we are apologetic at all or should be apologetic at all about, um, staying consistent, you know, with our, with our sort of the backbone of our message. Um, and I think that that's a valuable thing. I think that, you know, people know what they're going to get when they show up for and, you know, give us an hour of their time, hour and 45 minutes (laughs) saying of their time every week. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there was a, there was a quote that you said to me that was some lyrics from a a Mary Gaucher song called I drink. And this was on my notes from when we first started talking. And I kind of think that this relates to like what the point of the show is. And, and you said um, the lyrics were fish swim, birds fly, I drink. And I think that our listeners can resonate with that. That, um, yeah. that have been struggling with, um, you know, either they're sober now or sober curious. I know some people are listening that probably, you know, haven't figured out how they could find their way. Maybe that's why they're listening. And, um, I, I'm glad, I'm glad that they're here. 
I'm glad mm-hmm. that they're trying to find a solution and that maybe something somebody says on this show will click. Mm-hmm. And just to carry that to present day, I was just having a conversation with a friend yesterday and I, we were talking about how, you know, it's a miracle that we don't think about drinking every day anymore. Yeah. And, um, and, and, I found what came out of my mouth. I said, um, yeah, I have green eyes and I don't drink. So it's almost the, the, <laughs> the other side of the coin from that Mary Go Shake quote. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those are just true. Those are just facts. Those are, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Non-negotiables. Yeah. Yep. Uh, well, so I'm excited. This, uh, this whole episode, I was inspired when I heard the um, Ask Me Anything that um, Rich Roll did on his podcast. Um, and I liked that he, uh, was just kind of fielding questions from listeners and then what they wanted to hear him talk about. So we, we did that in our secret Facebook group, which all of you are welcome to join. Um, it is actually, it is a female only group, uh, so, um, or female identified group. And if you, if you had a question, we jotted it down on our Google Docs, and we're, we might answer it. We only have so much time, so we'll, we'll kind of hit some of those today. Some questions were similar, so we sort of combined the themes of the ones that were similar, too. Um, and, uh, yeah, and we're not going to mention anyone's name, so everybody right. can relax. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, for privacy for everybody, we're not going to do that. So, okay, so you should we jump in? Yeah, let's jump in. Okay, I'll, I'll read the first one. Sure. So if there was a p- one piece of advice you could go back and give yourself an early recovery, what would it be? I have, oh, more, I have more than one. <laughs> you do? Yeah. Okay. Short. Uh, you go ahead. You go yeah, mine are, mine are short too. Mine would be listen to your intuition. Mm. Um. It's been there all along and now you can hear it. And for me, that doesn't mean that I'm not going to seek out support. I'm not going to seek out teachers or mentors. I'm just going to do this on my own. I know what's right and what's wrong. That's not what I mean. I just mean that soft, quiet voice that nudges you in the right direction. That is your intuition. Listen to it. Trust it. You can hear it now. That would be my advice I'd give to myself. Mm, I like that. Yeah. We talked about that a little bit in the last episode in our intro. Um, but yeah, um, you helped me uh, realize that. And I'm just listening to that now and I'm three years in. So yeah, if I could have listened to that earlier, you know, I don't know if I, I, again, can't go back and change anything, but I definitely think that's very wise and, and sage advice um, for someone that's new to recovery. Yeah. Uh, to try to tune into yourself. Um, mine is, a, I have a few little, but I would sleep more mm-hmm. <laughs> because I don't think I could get enough sleep. And I think I felt guilty for the sleep I was having in the beginning. Um, but I would sleep more. I would just let myself off the hook, sleep more. I would try, <coughs> to, try to judge less. Um, and by that, I mean, I would, I would especially try to judge myself less in the beginning. It just was, you know, in early recovery, you just are. And I would, probably try not to be so hard on myself. Um, and I would probably tell myself not to resist everything. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that takes time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And 
And the other thing I was just going to say is that like little mantra that nothing changes if nothing changes. So in early sobriety, if you want to keep doing all the, you're just not drinking, but you don't want to change anything else, mm, you are making it really hard for yourself. And so right. I think I would have told myself back then that mantra, I didn't hear it until like a year ago. But um, yeah, I think that would be what I would say is just try to, try to, um, shift something even if it feels yeah. super uncomfortable especially mm-hmm. if it feels uncomfortable that's probably right. the thing you want to listen to right well and most things do in early sobriety right like everything feels uncomfortable yeah at first yeah I mean, be willing to be uncomfortable exactly that's it that's it all right, all right. what's the next one uh let's see <clears throat> What were sobriety's most surprising gifts? You know, and and what, if anything, do you continue to struggle with in long-term sobriety? So a gift and then maybe what's still a struggle. Do you have something? Because I don't have anything for that one right now. You don't? Okay, I do. I do. Um, I think the most surprising thing for me has been that things could actually change, that my thoughts, my feelings, my circumstances, all of those things could actually change. And I, I know that sounds silly, but I, that was so surprising for me. I mean, I, I think I honestly thought that I just removed the booze. It's just a liquid, right? Um, but, you know, my life is in the shit can because these are the things that have happened to me. You know, I was such a victim of my circumstances and I didn't realize that I had really created this life. You know, I mean, I thought, why would I have created this life? Why would I have put myself in this place on purpose? And, but then when I did quit drinking, um, everything did change. It really did. And it wasn't mad. It wasn't magic. (laughs) It was, you know, the hard work of changing my thoughts, but my life really did start to change. And, you know, so it, 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 it wasn't just the liquid that had to, that I had to remove. Sure. I had to remove that to get the clarity and the energy to work on the rest. Um, but recovery is so much more than just like you just said earlier, so much more than just removing the alcohol. Um, but if you do that part, the rest is almost inevitable. You really can change your life. And I think that was so surprising for me. I just thought of something. Yeah. I think the most surprising thing for me was that I have made all of these friends. Yeah. At this stage of my life. I really thought I had all the friends that I needed. Um, and to, to now I've lost some friends. Uh, my relationships have changed and, and um, been less present in my life. But the fact that I've made all of these new friends, this... I call them my lady tribe. Like I, in sobriety, I am so surprised that I have so many female friendships. Mm -hmm. That's been the biggest surprise for me. Yeah, same, same. That's been a pretty good surprise for me. And then what do you miss? What do you, what do you struggle with? What do you miss? I, sometimes I do miss the idea of like 
wild abandonment. Mm. Um, but I honestly think that that is more nostalgia for youth <laughs> than just missing booze. Um, sometimes I miss that feeling, you know, that the world's your oyster. Mm-hmm. Um, cause now I so much feel, and we talk about this all the time that I'm making up for lost time. I'm, working on this though. I really am. I'm working real hard to change my thoughts around that being so such an urgent thing. But yeah, I I don't I really think I just ha- have nostalgia for youth sometimes. Mm, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really that's really all I miss. <laughs> yeah. Well, I miss a few things. The thing that I struggle with, I think is um you know, intimacy in my relationship with my husband, I struggle with, um, my libido is really low still. So that's just something, again, I, I don't go into depth about that on this show out of respect for him, but that is something that I struggle with and that I'm figuring out and checking out into, the, you know, some, some things that I can do for that. But that has been a, that has been honestly the biggest struggle of, of being sober for me. And by saying the biggest, it's actually not that huge. So yeah. things are, it's not, nothing is as dramatic as it used to be when I was drinking. So, oh, true. <laughs> true. So even something I mean, that at is least a struggle, it's not, it's not a big tantamount struggle. It's, it's a struggle. It's just a base level struggle. Right. Right. There's tools. There's things you can right. do. Right. There's yeah. There's actionable steps for sure. For sure. Those were good. Okay. So, okay. So the next one, how did you find a meeting? That's the hardest thing for me, finding one and then walking in alone. I'll let you take that one. Um, so straight up answer of how I did it was just, I looked it up online. I looked it up online and I went to one while my son was at a soccer practice. It was at a convenient time that I could get away. It was nearby and yeah, walking in alone was really, really scary. Of course, uh, I got butterflies in the parking lot. I tried talking myself out of going in. I couldn't find where it was actually at, at the church that I was at. So I said, oh, I should just leave. But there was something inside of me that was just like, don't leave. Cause then you're going to have to probably do this again. And so mm, you're, already right. here. you're already here. Right. You know, let's, yeah. just, let's just do this. And, um, I found that it was like one of the first of many brave acts that I would do in recovery. Like that first meeting felt like a really brave thing to do. And by walking in and hearing what they had to say and being super uncomfortable and crying and not wanting to be there and all of it. I mean, that is a very normal experience for going to your first 12 step meeting, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it showed me after I walked out of there a little bit, it showed me that I can do anything. Mm hmm. I can do anything. Yeah. If I can do that, <laughs> I can I can do anything. Yeah. And that's what started to snowball effect for me from going to meetings. So that that was my that was my um that's how I found my first meeting. Yeah, and just to give some logistics, in case there are pe- listeners that don't know this, every city has an intergroup website that has a listing of meetings. And usually there's a name of the meeting. Sometimes the name refers to the location. Sometimes it is just a silly name that the members made up for the name. Um, and followed by that is a 
address, physical address. And then if you live in a city, it'll usually tell you what part of town that's in. And then from there, there's little code letters um, that distinguish different types of meetings. There's a W for women's meeting. There's an M for men's meeting. There's a, what do yours say? CL or C? There's symbols for child care. There's symbols for open or closed meeting. And basically the difference between those two is that an open meeting, everyone is invited to. If you want to bring your mom or your husband, you can. Uh, a closed meeting are for people that identify as an alcoholic, and that doesn't necessarily mean you even have to say that out loud, but you're going there because you have a desire to stop drinking. Um, and, uh, so those are, and then, you know, and then of course there's a time next to each meeting as well. They don't normally tell you how long they last, but generally they last about an hour. Yeah. Yeah, there was something that came up there I was going to add, but it's it's left me now. Um, but if it is your first time, I, just because it can, because the c- component of this question just said, you know, finding one, that, that's a hard thing to walk in. You don't, you do not have to say your name and that I am an alcoholic. You, you do don't not, have to say anything. There's no requirement to say anything in a meeting. So you can go and just listen. They'll ask if there's visitors. They'll ask, is anybody here, you know, um, visiting from outside the area? Is this your first time at a meeting? You don't have to say anything. It does help inform the room of who's in the room, you know, like, oh, we have some new people or people might come up and chat with you afterwards because you've said that you're new. Um, But that's more for support. That's not to call you out and that's not to embarrass you. It's just, right. it's just to identify. So if you don't think that you are the A word and you don't want to say that, um, you don't have to. You can just go. Yeah. Listen. You can just go listen. And yeah. No you don't make you. Yeah. You don't. You definitely don't have to say a word. Yeah, um, I didn't. I didn't call myself that when I first went there. Yeah. I told them I was not an alcoholic. <laughs> I would speak. And no one ever said a word until I no. figured out that, oh, okay. And you figure out a few things along the way and you feel like I feel comfortable saying that inside the rooms now. But um, everybody's on their own path, which is, that's what's so beautiful. No, there's no rules. No rules. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. Let me, let so me ask, let me ask you, yeah. can I ask the next one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we had a listener that um, is asking both of us, but I'm gonna let Sandra kind of take this question because she has um, she has something for it. Um, a listener asked, "How did you both come to your final day one?" So do you wanna you wanna take that? Yeah. Yeah. I took some notes on that. We have definitely had episodes or, or individual episodes where we interviewed each other and talked about um, our final days of drinking, you know, and how we came to sobriety. Um, that with those were episodes two and three. Uh, we even talk about it a little bit more in the episode titled, not this, although I can't remember the number of that episode, but that was a pretty good one as well. Um, but quickly, I, I mean, I, I, I can definitely speak to this every time because I do think it's important. You know, you hear it all the time, but it really, I really did have a true surrender moment, like something actually snapped. And I finally just got sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, you, 
I mean, you can hear that phrase all the time, but it is so true. Um, you know, I just knew in my bones that there was a bottom lower than where I was, you know, and, um, I was just, I was finally desperate enough. And I've also spoken about this before, but the way that I allowed myself to try this way of living was that, um, I said I was going to do it a year. Like I've made a deal with myself and I know that that's not something that will work for everyone. I know that some people are sober for a year and then they go back to drinking, but um, that helped me reframe my thinking around it. So I didn't have a pity party over it. Like I had so many times in the past, I didn't say, you know, why me? Why can't I drink? What's wrong with me? I don't get to drink like I had in the past. And, um, but you know, like I've, t I've said before, I, I got to about month three and I knew that I wasn't going to go back, um, to drinking. I, I just, I, I knew that I was going to keep doing whatever it took to keep going forward because I just couldn't go back to that place. And, you know, maybe that speaks to my desperation. Maybe that speaks to how low I felt how low my bottom felt. Um, but uh, you know, I, from, from that point on, I just, I, I was going, going to, if something stopped working, I was going to try something else. And that's how I finally, you know, got the momentum. I love that. That's so important too, Sandra. Like you said, like you just know you didn't want to feel that way. Yeah. So what, I so what am I going to do? What can I change? What can I shift? Right. I think that it, be, but it becomes, that question becomes so loud at the end, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't deny it anymore. I mean, really, it was like either I'm going to keep drinking this way and I'm probably going to die or live a life void of any joy, love, light, all of it. Um, or I'm going to have to do something about this. And, you know, that, 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 that was it. I mean, that, that's how I came to that final day one. Well, my, uh, in my art classes, my teacher talks about a call and response that we have with paintings that when you make a mark, you step back, you know, there's a call and response um, act that happens. And I think that's what you just kind of described. Like, there is this call to think like, I don't want to live like this anymore. And what is your response going to be? And you get to make that mark, you get to make that decision. And for you, yeah, it was to not drink, you started, you know, picking up tools and trying different things. And I sure did. Yeah. That just yeah. your response. I think the response that we all have that, and our listeners, I'm sure they can resonate with this if they've quit or if you're sober curious, I'm sure you can recognize the call because you're listening to this podcast. Yeah, you wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be having this conversation. <laughs> that is that is the call. How are you going to respond? Right. And right. I surprised myself with how I responded. And um, yeah, 
I just, I think you, you said something about why can't I not drink like others or, you know, when you start asking yourself. And I remember hearing in the rooms early on, and I didn't understand it at the time, but it said why is not a spiritual question. Right. And I would write that down and go like, what the heck are these people talking about? Like, I just didn't know anything about anything in the beginning of what I thought. You know, I didn't even know what my opinions were on things other than that they were negative. Um, but I would write down that why is not a spiritual question. Why can't I drink like others? Like, that's not something I need to answer. Yeah. I just can't. Right. You know, right. Move on. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, yeah, there are better questions. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Better well, questions. What can I do mm-hmm. next? Action. What's the next step I can take? Yeah. Action. Yes. Um, I was just going to say, so the episode, so if people want to go back and listen to some older episodes, Sandra, I interviewed her for episode two. Um, she interviewed me for episode three, and then we tell our stories there. So if people are new to the podcast and haven't listened to any of ours from the beginning, you might want to listen to those two might tell you a little bit more about her and I, and our experience, and maybe something will resonate with you. And then the episode that Sandra mentioned that we talked about, not this, which was a, an essay by Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, and we talked about our not this moments and that was episode 31. Yeah. So people can go to Good. those if they want to. Good. All right. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. Okay. I'll ask this one. All right. What was the most surprising thing that you learned about yourself that you did not like? How did you change that thing? <laughs> That's a good one. You want me to go? <laughs> Uh, I have things uh, you, it's up to you. I mean, sure. I'll go. I'll go. Okay. I knew that I could be judgmental, sarcastic, catty, bitchy. Um, and I think the most surprising thing, what, when I got sober was that I really didn't like that about myself. (laughs) I mean, I honestly thought that that was something that made me funky or cool. I, I don't know. But but when I got sober, that just did not feel good anymore. And, you know, it's not that I'm all serious now all the time. I mean, I am still pretty irreverent, but I'm just not an asshole anymore. And um, that I was happy to change that about myself, but you know, it was something that I thought was a quality, I guess, or I don't, just, um, I never accepted the fact I probably knew that that wasn't a quality, but I just never accepted the fact that it made me feel icky when I was, when I was, you know, sitting back smug and judgmental. So that, that was, um, yeah, that was surprising. <laughs> like, no, Sandra, this is not, this is, <laughs> this is not, um, it, yeah. Being an asshole is, is not, doesn't make you feel good really. No, no. So do you, do you want to say how you changed that thing or do you, um, you know, I just think that I, I don't know if I did something specific. I I just became, um, how did I become less judgmental? I think I just finally started having compassion for people. 
I, I switched those feelings and I started to see myself in situations or see myself in, in, um, other people because always when you're judgmental about something that someone else is doing, there's a good chance that it's an issue that you, that you're probably needing to address in yourself. Mm-hmm. Bingo. Yeah. So I had to, uh, yeah, I had to figure that out. Well, that, and that's, um, it's not just something that you just go boom and you figured it out too. No, no, no. I had to, had to come to understand that. Yeah. You came to believe. (laughs) I came to believe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, well, I, uh, so the most surprising thing that I learned about myself, and I don't know that it was so surprising, um, one of them. So that I, I definitely gossiped. And I think the surprising other thing was that I wouldn't have called myself this, but now looking back, I call myself this kind of when I'm talking in meetings or um, that I was a liar. I didn't tell the whole truth. I did a lot of lies by omission. I... Um, that was surprising to kind of look at that with the clear eyes mm-hmm. and not feel very good as the result of doing both of those things. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think that was a really hard pill for me to swallow at the beginning. Cause I was like, Oh shoot, I am a liar. That sounds harsh. Am I? Well, I lie. Right. <laughs> so mm-hmm. therefore, yeah. So that was, yeah. that was really hard. And, um, that was my mode of communication. That's what I was trained in growing up a little bit of just, um, we called it, my, my mom talked to her sisters. We called it hot dialing cause she has five sisters. And, um, you know, I felt like it was very normal to just share and talk and share about the other person. And I didn't look at it as that it was gossip. I just thought that's how mm-hmm. you can, I thought that's how you connect. Right. But it never left me feeling good. And that's no. how you know the difference, right? You're not just sharing out of concern or helping somebody. You are actually um, just, yeah, what is it? Stealing someone's reputation or stealing someone's, um, I think it's stealing their reputation. Um, so how I, are you still there, girl? Yeah, okay, yeah, good. no, <laughs> I'm just listening. Yeah, it's like an ego thing, right? For it's sure. just a total, it's a total ego trip. Yeah, sorry. I thought because we had technical difficulties, I thought I lost you earlier. Yeah. <laughs> just make sure you're <laughs> still there. Um, but how I changed that thing? Well, I think you first have to identify it. I have right. to identify as a gossip and a liar. And I don't need to wear that like a scarlet letter, just like the A word, alcoholic. I don't have to wear that everywhere I go. But everywhere I go, there I am, right? So if you are, you are. And so for me, I, uh, I think that by slowly and consistently working the 12 steps with a sponsor, um, repeating mantras, which in the beginning I resisted so much and I thought they were kind of silly, repeating those mantras are a way that helped me live. I remember those simple phrases and I started shifting um, how I thought of myself. So therefore I was no longer a liar. I was a person that wanted to have integrity and truth. And if I was repeating simple phrases to myself, um, grace over drama is a big one for me. If I would say that I would, um, I wouldn't lie to get out of a situation. I would choose the less dramatic route. Um, but 
Um, being part of a gratitude circle really helped me with this, with being a liar and a gossip as well, because I had an opportunity to change my mindset by seeing how other people were living, mm-hmm. how they lived with integrity, how they took really hard situations and could see the beauty in them or um, a lesson in them. I just started bearing witness to people who lived the way that I wanted to live. And, um, Definitely you, Sandra. I think when I, I think that's when we met in the um, secret Facebook group for a podcast that we listened to. I saw how you were responding to people. I saw the kindness that you extended, just the way you worded things. And um, I wanted what you had in that department. Like I liked that kind of, um, it's like you were just very accepting and had wisdom. And instead of being Mm -hmm. snarky or an asshole, as you say, like maybe you thought you were in in your past life, you definitely Mm -hmm. showed up in sobriety in a way to me that was like, I could do that too. Yeah. Um, I don't have to be like Sandra yet, but I can definitely learn from Sandra. And I did. And that's why I invited you to come into the, the gratitude circle. I was like, I want to, I want to learn from you. Um, so that's what I did to, to kind of change it. And then the last thing was that I practiced not gossiping with my sister on the phone. That's a good one. That had been our language. She was the person that um, I would say I gossiped with the most. And for her and I to try to not do that, we really had to practice. And so we would mm-hmm. call each other out. And for a while I was calling out her because I was so aware of it. Mm-hmm. She was so sweet to kind of take it too. And she's like, all right, got it. And then when I would start doing it, she would say it to me. Mm-hmm. And we really, it's taken three years of practice to really um, keep tweaking that and refining that. And we still have to work on it. You know, when we do mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. it's an old dynamic that we were trained in, um, right? Just by um, observation in life, you know, not just my immediate family, but just I worked at a wine bar. I mm-hmm. with my customers. It's the way we connected. Um, it's a it's a hard habit to change. So just I have a lot of intention around both of those things. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Those that was <laughs> those were good. God. Big one. <laughs> Not proud, but yeah, lessons are still being learned. So, oh, for sure. Yeah, Uh, yeah, yeah, I definitely have all that, but I'm no trying, trying. not cured. I can definitely still be an asshole, but (laughs) I just (laughs) try to be more aware of it. Um, okay. Well, I'm going to read the next one because I feel like you probably have more to say, um, in response to this question than I do. So, um, this is a question that we get a lot. Uh, I think Uh, I've seen it come up a lot, but do your spouses still drink? Does it cause resentment or are they supportive? Um, in this person's situation, they have a spouse that still drinks and thinks he's being supportive. Um, but the person is starting to experience resentment. So, mm, yeah, take it away. So, yes, my spouse does still drink. I have to say he drinks a lot less than when I was drinking. I think because, you know, we're not going out to restaurants and bars and socializing and having people over like we used to. So just by the sheer amount of things that I no longer participate in, our drink, his drinking is less. Um, but he is a normal drinker and he could, that means that he can have one. (laughs) 
and right. put it down, you know, or have a sip and go like, oh, that's not for me. Like he, he's, that's the type of drinker he is. Um, but does it cause any resentment? I was trying to think back to, um, the early days, I think I'd, I'd wanted him to empathize with me more and was hoping that maybe he would stop drinking was maybe a fantasy I entertained for a little while. But I don't, I don't not resent that he can drink because the obsession to drink for me has been lifted and is gone. So I don't resent that he can. And I think I can say that now 100%. Mm-hmm. I may have felt differently early on, but even that I can't fully remember because I don't think it, it hung on for very long for me. Right. Um, but what I will say is that um, you, you asked if, um, if, if, my hus- if he's supportive, <clears throat> if our spouses are supportive. And I would say that my husband is as supportive as he knows how to be. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, it's just he doesn't have this affliction. He doesn't understand necessarily what's going on and how much you feel in early sobriety, for sure, for me. I felt... Um, I felt... Like I wanted him to feel everything I was feeling. And that's completely unrealistic because that can't possibly be for anyone. Um, On my year sobriety, uh, I had wanted him to come and see me get a chip. And um, I told him about it. And he, I woke up that day to go get the chip. And I, I purposely did not wake him up because I thought he should know how important this is. (laughs) <laughs> getting up. So I kind of set him up there and, and, um, I was upset and I thought for him to be supportive, he would have been at that meeting. He would have been cheering me on. That is not the way he shows his support. And I've only learned that, um, over the years, like he produces the show for us. My husband is more of a quiet guy. <laughs> he's not your cheerleader. Yeah, no, he's not. Um, I think he's, <coughs> we talk about it. He's glad that I don't drink. But for him to be a cheerleader, I mean, he had to deal with a lot of my wreckage of my drinking. Mm-hmm. And um, without telling his story, I just, I know that by him doing the act of doing the show for us and putting it together for us for every week for a year, that's his way of being supportive. Well, so it shows yeah. up different. It shows up differently sure. for me. It's not that he's not drinking when I'm not drinking, um, but he is more considerate of um of those situations. And sometimes he'll ask like, is it all right if I have a beer? Is that going to bother you? Or if... so, but that has only come from me showing up, being consistent, showing that I'm serious about this. Right. So I feel like the byproduct of my work has been, uh, more of a, um, support, a quiet support from my husband. Mm-hmm. So that's just yeah. my personal experience. And I just, I think, you know, for him to live with me, who's going through this massive spiritual overhaul, um, that's not what he kind of signed up for when he married me. <laughs> right. And um, today, it's our 20-year anniversary of when we um, had our first date. Oh, wow. And I am not the person that he went on that first date with. So, I mean, how could I be, right? Nobody is. No. So, yeah. Anyhow, so the, the support is different. It's not a rah-rah cheerleader, like you said. It's more of a, um, he drives carpool so I can hit a morning meeting. He yeah. um, and does things for the show. He helps us technically. And he's just a quiet, um, he's a quiet cheerleader. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's, um, 
I think those are all just very important things to say. Um, My husband is, we have a a slightly different situation. My husband uh, rarely drinks. Um, uh, He also has a person that's very, very close to him that is in long-term recovery. Um, Been sober for 30 years. So he has seen uh, a person that needed to get sober and he has seen a person get sober and thrive in recovery. So all of that is not foreign to him at all. Um, so he with, I'm just going to speak for him, but I'm pretty sure he would agree. He is very grateful for my sobriety. Um, he was, uh, when he realized, I mean, we've only, we haven't been together for 20 years. We've only been together for, um, a little over 10. And, um, so he didn't know I had a drinking problem mm. when we first met. Uh, it was like a slow dawning <laughs> for him. Yeah. <laughs> and, and by that time, we, you know, we were in it. We were living together. We had a child together. He was a good stepdad. Um, and, you know, he didn't sign on for that. Right. And uh, so uh, my sobriety is very important to him. Um, he, uh, I think just like I'll do whatever I have to do to stay sober. He'll do whatever he needs to do to keep me sober. Mm. (laughs) It's that important to him. Um, so, uh, you know, I guess that's probably as good as support gets. And I feel very fortunate that I have it. So, um, you know, and, and, and same, my husband's pretty, quietly supportive. He's not a huge cheerleader either. I mean, he, you know, definitely doesn't always remind me, thank God you don't do that anymore. You know, like he (laughs) has said that a couple of times, but he doesn't constantly bring up the past or, um, you know, he's not constantly telling me, you know, giving me pats on the back or whatever either. Um, you know, because now it's just, now it's life, right? Yeah. And neither of us are perfect. And, right. you know, even though I'm sober, <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not hmm. yet. Um, but <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, it's, I, I, my heart goes out yeah. to women that have husbands that drink a lot. And my heart really goes out to you. I know that you can stay sober though, because I've seen it. I've seen it happen a lot. So, um, Hmm. yeah. Yeah. That's good. I know that we, we try to be respectful of our husbands. And I also know this is a topic that women really want to talk about. So we're trying to still navigate our way to have these discussions. So I hope that's enough to help somebody, you know. Yeah, I do too. Understand. Um, I do too. So let's, um, the next question, why don't I ask you, because I, I'm going to let you answer this one. Um, okay. Because I'm looking at our time and stuff. And since you have answers, I'm just, I'm going to 
bow out of this one. What takeaways do you have to resist the urges in the beginning of sobriety? Because it's such a habit. How to break okay. the habit part. Do you have any okay. suggestions? Yeah, I, I do. I do. And this will be kind of quick, but I, you know, I didn't know what I was doing really, or, you know, if I was doing it on purpose or if I was doing it right. But basically, um, I had to replace the activity of drinking with another feel good activity. And I, I did it every day, several times a day, especially during those triggery times. Um, uh, those, you know, happy hour hours or times where my anxiety was amped up. I had to, and even things that I did that I associated drinking with like cooking. Um, I had to replace those activities for a while with other things. So um, there was a time in the beginning, very beginning, that I would make my husband uh, make dinner. Or I would make it really early, like I would start the crock pot in the morning, um, things like that. And I just had to replace it with other activities like walking, going for a walk, putting, you know, I told the story, but I listened to every on being. So I'd put my head my earbuds in and go for a walk or taking naps, lots of sleeping. That was a good non-drinking activity that made me feel good. And, um, and reading too, probably. And I know that, that now I know that that's probably some kind of form of cognitive behavioral therapy that I was doing, <laughs> but, um, I didn't know that I didn't like research it. Um, I just did that intuitively, but that's, that's how I broke the habit part. And then once you do it enough times, I can't really totally address the biological things that happen to your brain, but you cut new pleasure grooves basically in your brain. So there is something that physio all physiologically happens, um, in your brain, uh, to, to discontinue one habit and, and successfully replace, uh, a new habit. Yeah. But I heard the other day with somebody that was on, um, another podcast talked about, if you already have a habit of like putting your keys in one place, like mm -hmm. piggyback on that habit. Right. New, it's like an one. association. Yeah. yeah. And so that's mm -hmm. like when the four o'clock hour of making a drink for me, I had to find something else to do at that four o'clock hour. And that could be making right. a non-alcoholic drink. Or for me, it was like ingesting a whole um, um, bucket full of chocolate covered raisins. So right. whatever it takes. people <laughs> do that. But that is what I did in early sobriety was the chocolate covered raisins. So yeah, that, yeah. That sugar fix. It, yeah. I know. I know. I, I think some there's some arguments to where that's a dangerous thing to say. But really, right. my thoughts are do whatever you got to do to, you know, as long as you're not harming anyone, right. um, do whatever you have to do to not pick up a drink. Yeah. All right. Um, okay. So the next one, do you have any fear? Did you have any fears that you would lose a part of your creative self or edge? Um, I think many of us attach our creativity, our uniqueness to drinking and, um, how long did it take for you to really feel your sober creative power? 
That's a, I, mm. I, that's a good question. Yeah. I don't, so I'll answer really quick because mine's short again. I don't think I had any fears about losing my creative self or edge or view of the world. That was not my fear in the beginning. Um, it, it came later maybe, but I could, when I had the wherewithal to think about these things in depth, but I, I think the second part of the question is just, um, how long did it take for you to really feel your sober creative power? That, that came about six or seven months into my, um, recovery. Mm. That came when I, um, when Holly reached out to me to kind of work on that mantra project. That's when I finally, the things I was, was doing was just like this thing to make me happy. I was fulfilling my own goals, but to feel power that I actually could do something with it. And I could, um, declare my major art that came around six months after some of the fog had cleared for me. Hmm. So what about, yeah, well, you know, I feel a little differently. Um, I definitely thought it would not drinking would, would make me lose my edge (laughs) hundred percent. I mean, that is, that is something that kept me drinking for a very long time. Um, I thought drinking made me edgy. Mm Uh, I thought it made my friends edgy. I thought it made us do edgy things. I mean, really. Um, and so, um, you know, now in hindsight, I know that that's, wasn't really the case. I mean, if anything, it, it made me dull, not edgy, (laughs) but, um, but you can have not, you could not have convinced me of that when I was still drinking. Um, However, the sober creative power, I almost felt that right away. I really did. But I had to let go of the form it would take. Um, So in other words, I let it express itself through writing in my journal. You know, I've talked about that. I wrote feverishly in my journal every day and I didn't put pressure on myself um, to do other things like make an amazing piece of art or start a photography project or anything like that. Um, but then eventually it did, you know, eventually it bled and morphed into other things. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I really resonated with that question because, um, yeah, I thought I was so like punk rock. That's what made me that way was drinking and raising hell, you know? I did. That was part of my identity. Yeah. And you've definitely harnessed your creative power, sober creative power. I mean, I just, it's, you're off the charts now, right? Yeah. I I didn't know you before, but I mean, I can feel, I can just imagine it's, it's very different, different So different. So different now. Yeah. And, um, I, yeah, but again, it's, uh, you know, I didn't, I just, didn't put a lot of pressure on myself in the beginning. I think it's something that you have to let unfold. Um, and it takes, it takes time. It does. Yeah. 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 Well, this, I was gonna, um, the next question, um, I'm going to go ahead, uh, is related to, uh, our attitudes around people who still drink or use. So that's, yeah. Yeah. And we had a couple of questions like this. So, and so we'll we'll address, we'll address it here. Hopefully hoping that it answers, um, the questions that came in, but, Mm -hmm. um, 
And the, and the listener said, you know, I feel like this might be a touchy question to tackle, but how do you ladies feel when you encounter family, friends, peers, acquaintances, coworkers who still imbibe? And maybe how do you rise above those feelings of judgment? Do you want to tackle that? Or sure, sure. Yeah, I'll start and then um, I'll finish. I bet I bet we have similar similar takes on this. Okay. Uh, you know, we have a friend in in one of our secret Facebook groups that's been with us for a while, and um, she talks about sober limits a lot. Like the first time she talked about that, I thought that is fucking brilliant, <laughs> but. For her, it just meant that she can stay sober in these particular limits, right? And anything outside of those limits, you know, make you thirsty. And, um, but you have to know what those limits are, right? You, you, you have to know that they will keep you secure and, and then know that they can change, right? The more sober time you get, those, those limits can, can morph, they can expand. If you imagine it like a circle around you, that circle can expand. Um, so I try to, and I guess we talked, I was addressed judgment earlier and I forgotten that I had written this down for this question, but I try to apply the same sort of concept to judgment. For instance, if I feel like a particular situation is going to make me extra judgy, I try to avoid it. Mm. Um, And uh, for instance, I'll give you an example. Um, I have a friend that uh, teaches a yoga class. And um, when I first got sober, you know, I was like, I'm going to do yoga. And I, I was trying to go to her yoga class. And there were people there that... Um, well, including the teacher, but there were hungover people there and it made me so uncomfortable. And I tried it a couple of times, like, come on, Sandra, you can get over this, but it made me uncomfortable. It made me feel super judgy. And I had to stop going to that yoga class. Um, so, you know, but those things have changed for me, just like the sober limit idea, the judgment limit (laughs) has those limits have changed for me as well. Like I could probably go to her yoga class now and it wouldn't affect me as much. I wouldn't feel super judgy about it. Um, so those have kind of morphed and changed for me over time. But, um, you know, I know that there's some cases where you can't help but be around people though. You know, if it's your coworkers, for instance, um, or if it's your clients or what, you know, there's some situations that you just obviously can't avoid if it's people that you work with. Um, my, uh, sponsor for that then would say, then just pray for them. (laughs) Right. Well, (laughs) or have compassion for them or if that doesn't resonate with you. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, when you just said coworkers, that may, okay, well, let me, I'll riff on this too, but I like that sober limits. I have not seen that in our, in oh, okay. Our Facebook I'll, I'll I like you, that a lot. I'll tell you who, I'll tell you who said that and then you'll, you'll, you'll go, oh, okay. okay. I don't want to mention her name. But I really it. do like that concept. So maybe I'm already doing that concept without thinking of it that way, but I like, right. that's very helpful because those limits can change. You can keep moving that bar. Sure. Right? Sure. Um, so I thought this was a really great question. Um, and I had to write, I had to, I, I got to write about uh, judgment as part of my step six work, which was about your character defects or defaults or however you want to 
the thing about you that bugs you <laughs> yeah, um, or that doesn't make you feel really good. So that I wrote about judgment for about a month and I struggle with it for sure. And, um, what I found is that I have to, I've had to remove myself from certain situations, just like what you said, Sandra. Right. Right. For me, it was, um, book club, um, for example, and I have to decline invitations to parties or events where there was going to be a lot of drinking. And, um, what you just made me realize about the coworker aspect, like my husband has a Christmas party every year. I dreaded it every year. I drank too much every year. The last three years, we haven't gone to his office Christmas party. Right. Um, the first year he's like, do you want to go? I'm like, not really. Mm-hmm. I feel too raw. And he's like, all right. I said, but if you need me to go, I will. But I'm just telling you, you asked me if I wanted to, I don't. And um, <coughs> the next year came around and he asked me again. I said, I mean, I, again, I can show up for you because he does, he hardly asked me to do anything like that ever, but I really don't feel like going. He's like, okay, well, either do I. And so we just haven't gone. So having those conversations instead of doing what you think you're supposed to do has been helpful to actually say it out loud. Like, do I really want to, do you need me to, um, is this something we have to do? Um, but I used to just, I realized I have a lot more choice in this than, than I used to think. Right. And, yeah. And and like and exactly. Like I said, there are some things you have complete autonomy over. But then of course there's some things, you know, you you have to go to work on Fridays and you have to you know, you have to be around the booze cart and people getting, you know, drunk on Fridays and sometimes you know, it's it's hard or you you know, maybe you hang out and have to hang out or feel like you have to bring your kid out in social circles that moms are talking about wine a lot. So there's some situations where you may feel like you're, you, you don't have a lot of autonomy. Um, but yeah, I would just say the compassion piece is huge. Yeah. Just try to have compassion. Think about where you were six months prior to that or three years prior to that. Um, and I also think not staying in a victim role. For me, I was a victim of circumstance. I was like, oh, everybody's drinking at me um, in the beginning. You know, why can why is everybody drinking and I can't? And so when I, st I, when I removed myself from those situations or if I went to them, like my book club definitely drank, I gave myself a curfew because my mm -hmm. judgment would get harsher as time went on. So when I said right. at the beginning of the evening, I was like, oh. They don't own a water kettle. Awesome. So I can't have any tea that I brought. And I was just already creating this judgy, judgy, you know, I would always wear the McJudge pants underneath my clothing and they would just, they would just uh, get a little tighter as the night went on. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think removing and releasing judgment is a daily practice. And I like that sober limits. That's going to really help me because it does, it does change on the situation. Mm-hmm. So, Meetings help me with this too, because I judge in meetings and then I get to practice in meetings how to release that judgment, which is not all kumbaya like I'm making it sound. It's hard work. It's, it's, um, but I like practicing, um, you know, I like just practicing it. Mm -hmm. No one has to know that you're practicing it either. You know, you just get to practice it. So, ah, yeah. all right. That was a great, okay. was a great question. Yeah. It's a really good question. Um, okay. Let's see. Okay. I'm going to, uh, okay. What would you do if you had a long weekend to yourself? If your family went on a trip that you opted out of, what is your guilty pleasure now that you are sober? Hmm. 
I have something yeah. and mine is quick. Yeah, um, I just want to address the whole guilty pre- pleasure part. Okay. <laughs> I try not to associate guilt anymore with any pleasure. Hmm. <laughs> um, you know, because we shouldn't feel guilty for doing things that make us feel good as long as we're not hurting anyone. Right. Um, so, uh, I don't, I don't, I let myself off that hook. Um, but when I am feeling like super indulgent like that, uh, I like to go see a movie by myself. (laughs) Uh, I have not done that in a long time. Ooh, I'd love to do that. Yeah. So that's mine. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't resonate with the guilty pleasure part either because I feel like I do a lot of things that bring, bring me pleasure now. Um, mm-hmm. and I try not to do things that don't, you know, or that make me feel bad. So I don't, you're right. That that word was kind of a, um, it didn't resonate with me, but, um, so this question is perfect because this is actually happening for me in June. Um, my guys, my husband and son are going to Montana for 10 days to go fly fishing. Uh huh. And I'm almost giddy with excitement for a couple of reasons, but for them to bond is great, but I am looking forward to having the house to myself. Yeah, that is exciting. Yeah. I'm going to make art. I'm going to cook. I'm going to read. I'm going to lay in the hammock. I am going to not have to cook for anybody else but myself, which feels indulgent and luxurious. Um, I do get a lot of alone time because my husband works on the weekends. So I'm without my husband on the weekends a lot. And my kid is old enough now that I get a lot of alone time. So um, so I do, I already do kind of get that time and I, and I, um, I guess <coughs> let me just, I, let me, I'm going to backtrack with what I just said during the weekend. Sometimes I don't feel guilt, but I know that there's other things I should be doing. So maybe that's kind of where she was phrasing that question from. Like, mm, I don't right. have to go do all the things on the to-do list. Um, so something that I would just, I'm just going to be maybe sloth like a little bit. I'm just, mm-hmm. gonna, I'm just going to soak it up. Yeah, that was a good, that was a fun question to think about though. I mean, I have many, I have many indulgent things, but you know, most of, most of my indulgent things people would look at and say, actually that's, you're just being productive. And so, but that's indulgent for me spending like 10 hours in my studio. (laughs) That's like super fun for me. (laughs) So yeah, that, that was a fun question. Um, Okay. How do you make friends at midlife? I didn't write down anything for this, so you oh, yeah. go ahead. I have I have just a couple things. Join uh, our secret Facebook group. You can make lots of friends there. That, for <laughs> sure. For sure. So yeah. I wrote um, 12-step meetings and online sober forums. And, yeah. Uh, and yoga workshops. I guess I've made some new friends. But actually, they were still part of my online um, sober forums that I was part of. Mm-hmm. So those two things have been key. I guess for people, if if you're finding something that you're interested in or, you know, a hobby or you start doing things like our friend, uh, Nicole Morgan, who's been on the show, she does roller derby, right? Yeah. Find your thing that you really dig doing and then connect with, join the group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't talk about it much anymore because I kind of let it go, but I, I formed a meetup like on meetup.com and I had, tons of people. In fact, friends that I 
uh, have right now. Um, I met through my met through my meetup, and I have brought those women together too, and their friends. So um, that was pretty cool. And you can make a meetup for anything. It doesn't have to. You don't have to out your sobriety. You can just call it, you know, alcohol alcohol free runners or something, um, and you know, and, and people will actually join your meetup. It's kind of cool. And then you can, you know, if you get a group, you can put up a, a meetup time and see what, who shows up. Um, it's kind of weird, but it's, it's kind of fun. I mean, I, I probably would have thought it was weird until I did it. And then I met such cool people. So, um, yeah, that's, it worked. Yeah. It's not as hard as you think. Think. I mean, it can be as hard as you want to make it. That's for sure. Anything is as hard <laughs> as you want to make it. Right? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. So just, um, I think you have to tap into yourself, listen, you know, and uh, yeah. do it. And it's going to feel uncomfortable, but oh well. That's yeah. Just not for very long. That's for right. Sure. That's for sure. Yeah. Ooh, I'm exactly. going to share something later that was uncomfortable last week that turned out to be lovely. I'm going to share that in my three things. Sorry, oh, oh, okay. Um, yeah. Um, well, and uh, let me just say real quick, cause you just reminded me that, um, so I have a, uh, you know, I've mentioned that my kids do improv, um, all the time and they have for years. And the, there was a, another mom that I kind of felt like we were sort of on the same page. Like we would kind of hang out we talk about the kids and improv and stuff like that. Um, but we were slowly kind of getting to know each other. And then a week ago she asked me, Hey, when the kids are at this class, do you want to hang out? And I was like, Oh, okay. Okay. Sure. And, and, and for the first time in a long time, I felt kind of weird. Like, I wonder if she wants to go have a drink drink, you know, what kind of drink does she want to have? And, um, but you know, we kind of settled on a place that was just next door. Um, it was a bar and a tea bar, sort of a Japanese place. And, um, we sat there and chatted for a really long time. And then she was like, I don't know what I'm going to have. My son has bubble tea here. I don't know. Maybe I'll just have a beer. And I immediately said, well, I don't drink. Um, so I'm just going to have it, have a tea. And she goes, are you in recovery? And I said, yeah. And she goes, awesome. I don't need to drink. <laughs> Aww. I know it was the coolest thing. What a great and I had- response on her part. Oh, it was so great. And she, um, she's a nurse, so, you know, she's in healthcare. So maybe, maybe that's why. And then we talked about that a lot. We talked about being a vegetarian and all kinds of stuff, you know, just general, like healthy, how to live a healthy life conversation. But, um, yeah, it was very cool. So anyway, I guess my point of that story is you never know too when you someone might surprise you or when a situation might surprise you if you just kind of stay open. Um, I think in in the beginning I would have been very scared of that meetup, like oh what am I going to say if she wants to have cocktails? What am I going to do? You know, am I going to? It's going to feel awkward. Yep. And I just sort of you know went with it and and you just never know. Yeah, I love it. No, I would have obsessed about that and made a big deal. But then that would be dramatic. Yeah, 
I'm didn't not to do wasn't, drama. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it wasn't dramatic at all. It wasn't yeah. at all. It was awesome. Oh, that's a great. That's great. I like that story. <coughs> oh, um. Okay, so yeah, we're kind of. I have a couple questions that came in for me, but okay, I would love go it. Ahead. I would love it too that if you can chime in because uh, I know sure some I of this might. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the first one will be really quick, but a listener asked. Um, they were curious because I used to own a wine bar. Mm-hmm. Um, that I sold um, many years ago before I got sober. I sold it in 2008. And she was wondering how that played a role in my drinking becoming more of a problem rather than less. And it's really simple. When I was running the wine bar, I did drink a lot in the afternoon, late afternoons and go out with customers afterwards. But during the day, I had to do my books and I had to stock the shop and do inventory and take my kid to daycare in the morning. And so I had a lot of obligation that had to be done with a clear head. Um, That's what made me think I was so high functioning, right? I got all this stuff done. Um, What it became more of a problem for me because when I got home and after we sold the wine bar, I didn't have access to wine like I used to have. So I switched to booze. I switched to vodka martinis. I switched to bourbon um, in the very end. And it became more craft cocktails. And then I would create more dinner parties and I would drink alone a lot. Mm-hmm. So it definitely, that was just a very simple by being able to isolate myself and be home. I could drink more. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened for me. Well, and can I, I can, I can actually yeah. speak a little bit to this too, because I worked as a bartender for years. I mean, that's, that's what I did on and off for years. And, you know, there's no, there's nothing to say that you wouldn't have progressed to eventually having a drinking problem while owning the wine bar. You know what I mean? Because when I, um, was first, you know, working in the restaurant industry, I followed the rules. I didn't drink on the clock. I waited until I clocked out before I had my first drink that progressed to drinking, uh, before my shift was over. Then that progressed to drinking sometimes before I went to work um, and then drinking through my out my entire shift. So it wasn't always it wasn't the way that it ended up. It wasn't always that way, but um, it it just shows the progression. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it definitely. Yeah, it just kept kicking up another notch. You just kick it up. Yeah. Like, oh, I got away with that. Yeah. 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 So you get creative with your drink. Oh, for sure. For (laughs) sure. Yeah. Um, and so the next question, um, for me was, and Sandra, you can answer this one as well. Um, but how do you stay organized and plan for all the things that you do and do you have a daily routine? And so I did want to speak to this and I don't, um, I'm sure Sandra has her own system for things, but I'm kind of a, uh, my personality type, I think, uh, responded to the 12 steps because it was like a thing to do, um, something to check off. I like a gold star at the end, you know, so I definitely, I definitely, um, different things speak to me, but for me to stay organized and plan for all the things that I do in terms of being a mom and a wife and a student and a person in recovery is that I have to plan a little bit and I don't have to be so rigid with my planning, although it might appear that way to some, um, Sundays are a super important day to me in my life to kind of center me for the week. 
And I used to really dread Sundays because I was hungover. And it just never, I never started the week off feeling good, ever. So um, I am, I took a service commitment on Sunday on purpose so that I could go be of service first thing in the morning on Sunday mornings. And um, that kind of kickstarts everything for me. And I reconcile a computer calendar with my paper calendar. I map out commitments and meetings and carpools and all that kind of stuff that you do to run a household. Um, I finish, you know, the things that need to be finished for the week. And I look at I look at my week like I get to do these things. I get to pay the bills. I get to, um, you know, work on a creative project or a goal or some type, or I get to fulfill an obligation that I made to someone. I try to look at my to-dos as get-to-dos. And um, that way my head's on straight for the week and I can kind of move forward. Mm. Um, I do have daily and nightly routines that I'll talk about in a minute, but I, do you have anything, Sandra? Do you have a plan? Um, I am much less of a planner. Uh, <laughs> probably no surprise to you that these are the differences in our personalities. I'm, I'm much less of a planner. I, I mean, I have a planner that sits on my desk and I have some rough to do's lists, you know, rough lists. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do not like to get stuck in a predictable rut. Mm-hmm. For me, um, I like to keep some things open for at the unexpected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, that it it works for me, you know, and I don't really drop too many balls. So, um, I, I, I just am less rigid probably about my planning, put it that way. Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, I sound like such a hippie, but you know, I, I, I kind of try to stay in the day. It keeps me from future tripping too much and it keeps, uh, things open for, um, creativity or something that I'm not expecting. You know, you hear talk, people talk about if you want something new to happen, you have to leave space for it. That's what I try to do. And it just keeps me from future tripping. It keeps me from worrying too much. And I know that that has a op- the opposite effect probably for you. It had the opposite effect for you. But for me, not being so rigid in my list making and my routines um, keep me less anxious. And it works for me. <laughs> Are you there? Oh, I'm so sorry. I put it on mute because there was noise outside. So I've just been talking to myself. Um, see, we're keeping it real here, people. Um, my husband's about to drive away and he was going to make a bunch of noise. So I put it on mute. Um, I, I, I find that you're very organized because you keep me on track with things for the show. And I have lists everywhere and calendars and stuff. But you, you're, you, so it's not you may do that differently or, um, however you just explain not however, how you explained it. Right. Uh, but yeah, we don't, we don't work the same ways. And I think that's probably why we're friends too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? We wouldn't want 
somebody exactly like us, just like we don't no. get a spouse exactly like us. Um, but oh, I will say, uh, yeah, of course not. <laughs> I will say that I do bookend my days with um, a couple of things. So in terms of a daily routine, so I did want to share that because I feel like that's super important to sobriety, and I've shared it previously on the on the show. But really quickly, my daily routine: I make a hot cup of tea every day, and I'm kind of a weirdo. I put it on Instagram every day. And it's just symbolic, meaning that I'm going to try to, you know, do these next 24 hours until I make the tea the next day. Like, let's do the best that I can do. Let's see what I can, um, but you know, just live life for the next 24 hours on life's terms and not try to manipulate it too much. Um, that is the meaning behind why I do that. And then I take vitamins and supplements. I read an AA daily reflection, or I read your daily unruffled, Sandra, the, um, the, your ebook. Mm. Um, I try to start my gratitude list for the day in the morning or the foundation of it at least. And I pull a tarot card if I need divine inspiration. So those are like my first half an hour of the day activities. And they Mm -hmm. may not all get done or I might forget to take my supplements one day or I might forget to read the daily reflections. But generally that's what I I try to center my day. Like that's how I start. And then in the evening I don't have a really firm routine. But a weird thing that I do is... um, Maybe it's not so weird, but I try to make sure my kitchen sink is empty of everything Mm -hmm. and that my counters are clean. And then I just look at my calendar and I load my car up because we leave the house so early in the mornings for carpool. So I do like this little thing that's not really a recovery thing necessarily, but I feel like it, I'm getting myself in order and then I take the hottest shower I can, which I know is not. I've heard that cold showers are so really good. <laughs> but I take a hot shower. Um, I do my skincare routine and I read a few pages from um, a book. So anything that happens in between those two routines, the morning routine and the evening routine, um, you know, it's on my list. There's some hopes and dreams and goals, but really um, I try to just keep my word to my commitments. And Mm -hmm. those two routines at the beginning, at the end of the day, just kind of help me, um, stay grounded, I guess. Yeah. 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 And I definitely have things that I do every morning and every evening. They're just not, they're not rigid, you know, the, the, especially my morning things that I do. Um, I really just try to do, I get up before anybody else does. I'm the first one up. And I like that to be at least an hour, if not more, if not longer. And, um, and I take, I use that time to just do something that I get joy from. And usually that's reading, but, um, sometimes it's writing. Sometimes it's, it's, um, you know, reading the, the New York times, you know, I might mix up what I'm reading, but just, that sort of just sets, if my intention is set for the day, I'm good. Yeah. I'm just good. Yeah. And yeah. I like that. It's not necessarily a, let's check all these things off. It's, but I like that. Exactly. Something that brings you joy can be interpreted. um, Exactly. Whatever it needs to be. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Um, We had one more question for me and it was about my marriage again. So I feel, I feel like we kind of covered that. Um, from what I said earlier, but, um, let's see. I know that again, I know that our listeners want us to talk about this. Um, but how do I navigate the changes within my marriage since becoming sober? And I think, um, 
I'm comfortable sharing that, you know, I've been in therapy with my husband for 10 years and we've been together for 20, which I just shared with you earlier. But I want you guys to know that I withheld a lot of information when I was out there still drinking. And so therapy yielded only a a modicum of relief, like just the tiniest bit. Um, So when I got sober, um, it definitely changed the relationship with my husband. And there has been a lot of healing that has had to happen, you know, slowly and over time. And um, again, he's a very private person, man, a few words. So uh, that's probably all I'll say. But um, I imagine that it could not have been easy to be married to me when I was drinking. And um, I'm glad that he, you know, he has been so committed to our marriage. And um, yeah, and that he's the only man I've ever wanted. So uh, I think I just needed to love myself more in order to become a better partner. And that's what I'm doing now. And and in doing that and kind of not drinking, showing up for my life, um, I've become a better like mother and daughter and sister and a friend. And so um, navigation of a marriage, like no two marriages are alike. And um, what I thought marriage was, it's not what it's turned out to be. Um, I knew it was committed. I mean, it has turned out to be that, but the path we all take with our spouses is very personal. So, um, Oh, for sure. Yeah. So the things where I'm, I'm, uh, where it's less than ideal or maybe not how I had imagined it's shown up in another area of our marriage. that has been beyond my belief. And, you know, and the fact that he has stuck by me with all of these, um, you know, it's not easy to be married. No, it's not. Like this or like a Oh, this. right. Or and it's not easy general. to be married. <laughs> I thought you were just going to leave it at that. And I was going to say, no, yes. All of it. All of it, it is not. Right. It is, it is not. And, you know, the, sometimes things are hard because we make it hard. And I firmly believe that. And then some things are hard just because they are. Yeah. And, um, I've told this story before, but I, I was watching a good morning America and this was when I was married to my first husband and there was this older couple on good morning America and they were celebrating some ungodly amounts of decades together. I think they were celebrating like 60 years of marriage or something like that. And, the interviewer asked them what was their key to a long marriage. And the husband, he was like holding his wife's little hand. And he said, we just never fell out of love at the same time. And Mm. that has so stuck with me. Um, Because you are not always you know, there's not always heart shooting out of your eyes, no matter what you're going through, you know? And, uh, but if you fall out of love at the same time, right? I think that's when, that's when, that's the time to question it or up the therapy or, 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 you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, that's the same time. That's so helpful. Right. Yeah, because that's true. Because, <laughs> yeah, it's ebb and flow, and um, it is an ebb and yeah. flow. But I, I like that. I again, I wanted, I wanted to at least 
talk about this a little bit because I know it's coming up and I've had in real life discussions with ladies that I've met that we've gone to certain events and we've definitely delved deep and were really transparent and honest and I felt like I was really uh, held in those situations and knew that what I was saying was going to stay with that person so I've right. opened up about it but to open up you know and let a couple thousand people hear this I just doesn't feel um super comfortable for no right, right now yeah. Yeah. But um, I think we did it. I think we answered I think we did most it. of those questions. And if we didn't, we set a couple aside to maybe have episodes about and right. riff on. So thank you for all of the feedback and for, yes. and for listening to us for these last uh, 52 weeks. Yeah. So unbelievable. <laughs> okay. Well, should we cap it off with our three items from our unruffled toolboxes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Well, um, I'll go first. Um, so my first one is spring. Um, I had said it before, but I could pitch a tent in the backyard and live out there and just let my leg hair grow and (laughs) get long, big mats in my hair right now. I could be outside every day. It's just glorious right now in Texas. And we have to talk about it because it won't stay like this. Um, so I have just been out in the garden. I've, I've, if you're on my, if you follow me on Instagram, you will see that I will flood my feed with photos of flowers without apology. And, um, so spring is really, that's really a big one for me. Oh, I like that. Um, well, since we just got done talking about marriages and things, um, and I'm looking on my phone right now, so excuse me for just a second, but I started listening to Esther Perel, who you yes. introduced me to her work, mm-hmm. and she has a podcast called Where Should We Begin? And Esther Perel is a therapist and she specializes in uh relationships and and sexuality Mm -hmm. so i have been listening to her podcast last week holy cow so good isn't it she is good she's masterful at what she does yeah she certainly is i start listening to these podcasts thinking well oh this one's about a sex addict i'm not a sex addict but i'm just gonna well it was called the addict so initially i started listening to it i'm like oh they're talking about he's a sex addict i don't know what i'm gonna get out of this Oh my gosh, I got so much out of it <laughs> because he's in a 12-step program. Uh, yeah. And by the time they got to the end, you know, he was talking about his community and I've said, I've made my amends. I don't know why you can't forgive me. And Esther Perel just like, is like, because she doesn't have a 12-step community. Right. Because this was done to her. She had no choice yeah. in that. Like the way she just called him out. And it made me think about some of my amends that I had made, you know, um, that maybe weren't received by certain people. And I was like, hmm. I was keep thinking like, well, that's their deal. That's their stuff to work on. No, it's maybe I, she said to acknowledge that person's experience, the other person's experience. Right. Not to just say you're sorry. You need to just, right. just acknowledge it. You don't have to keep apologizing for it. But acknowledge well, and that like, it happened. Yeah, like we said before, they didn't sign up for this, you know? No, no. Yeah. So that was just a powerful episode. So I highly recommend it's called Where Where Should We Begin with Esther Perel. And um, 
the other ones that I listened to, one was on sexlessness, mm-hmm. having a sexless marriage. One was on, what was the, what was the other one? Well, I think you, oh, misentitlement and, um, and Mr. Sacrifice were out on a date. So these two couples, once she's entitled and once he feels like he sacrifices. Anyhow, you could find yourself in any of these episodes, I think. Yeah. Even mm-hmm. for just a minute. And the way she breaks it down is just mm-hmm. lovely. So well, thank and she's you for written, turning me on to her. She's yeah, great. she's written books. She's done TED Talks. And she's also been on other podcasts, many other podcasts. She's excellent. She's so smart. Gosh. Yeah. So that she's got two seasons and it's on couples and relationships. I think the third season's going to change and be about something uh, a riff on something else, relationships with children or other things, but these first two seasons, I shouldn't say episodes, these first two seasons are on uh relationships, um, married yeah. or just relationships of dating. So, yes, I yeah. highly recommend it. Yeah, very good. Very good. I was going to mention her earlier. I'm glad you did. <clears throat> okay, so my second one is the art exchange. I know we talked we talked about it before, but working on my art piece and connecting with my partner has been so fun. Ugh, it's been so good. It's been so good. My partner and I just totally hit it off. That was magical. And you know, it's some, you know, you, we've done so many now and some partners you really, I I wouldn't say that there's been any that we, I haven't connected with at all. Um, I've connected with them in varying degrees, I guess, but this, my current partner or this for this last exchange in particular, we really connected. Um, and, and, so that's just been so fun. That's been so fun. Yeah. It is nice when it's kind of, um, of course, we connect with everyone. I do find a connection when I do these things. Sure, with magnified, everyone. To have it magnified by going, oh, right, right. We have so much in common or, or share a common language, whether that's exactly. through art or, or just exactly. talking. Oh, exactly. Oh, and does she live near you? No, but oh. we've just been, we've texted furiously since... Yeah, since we we first started. Yeah, yeah. So it's okay. I have a new friend. Yeah, it's awesome. See, you can make friends. That's how you make make friends. Join our Recovery Gals Art Exchange. Yeah, (laughs) friend us up on Facebook. Say you want to be part of the exchange and we'll add you to the fun. Oh, we're going to be releasing a new theme probably around soon, Soon. beginning of April. So if you guys want to join in, let us know. Yeah. Um, okay. My second thing is yet another podcast. I've been kind of on a podcast kit cause I've been in the studio a lot and, um, it is my boyfriend, Rich Roll, mm-hmm. uh, my imaginary boyfriend. And I just listen. It's his newest. Um, well, I don't know if it's his newest, newest, but it's, um, with Susan David, a PhD. It was his March 25th episode and it was on the power of emotional agility I haven't listened to that one yet. And why discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. So I know I call it emotional sobriety, but this, this, um, Dr. David talks about, uses the term agility. Mm -hmm. She is brilliant. I wanted to take notes for the whole two hour episode. I mean, I want to re-listen to it with a notebook because it was, I can't wait to listen. Fabulous. And she has a TED Talk. By the time he um, had interviewed her, in a week's time, or two weeks' time, it got um, 2 million downloads. Whoa. And a little snippet of the TED Talk got 19 million. 
hits. So it's definitely people are liking what she has to say. And I'm not going to say it anywhere nearly as eloquently as her, but you will get so much out of it, Sandra, you're going to dig it. And it's about feeling all of our emotions, not that we just have to be happy. Right. That if this happiness is the meaning of life. No, she was like, it's all of the emotions. Mm-hmm. That is the meaning of life, to feel and experience them all, to have this really full experience. So mm-hmm. so much more than just that. But so I definitely, um, I would highly recommend that episode. Ooh, that's a good one. I can't wait to listen to that. Okay, so my last one is, I think I finally have a meditation routine. And I'm so... I'm so excited. I mean, I feel like I just wrote a blog post about this, but I feel like I'm in this sobriety 2.0. And, um, tell me more. Well, you know, you know, when we first got sober, you, you kind of had this feeling that everything you wanted was just on the other side of sobriety. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I've definitely experienced that. Um, I think that, you know, some of those things were tangible things, accomplishments. Um, but a lot of those things were just feelings. Like I wanted to feel a certain way. Safety was a big one. Um, and you know, I feel like I'm experiencing that now. And, now I feel like there's a next, uh, level, a next version. Um, and my gut is telling me and has been since about the, since about the time the calendar year turned that it was time for me to, to get more quiet, to listen more than speak. Of course she would know that in the last hour and 45 <laughs> minutes that we've been talking, but, Um, I'm trying to do a lot more listening than talking and, and not just listening for teachers or noise or distractions, but going inside, I feel like that there is a, a creative reservoir inside of me that I haven't tapped yet. I honestly feel that way. And I think the way I'm going to, to get there is is um, through meditation. And I've had just some excellent experiences lately from meditation. Um, I can't, it's hard to describe. And, and I've heard a lot of people talk about this that meditate a lot. Like it's hard to, to tell you exactly what the benefits are. You just have to experience them. And, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and that's, that's, it's, uh, it's felt pretty um, magical. <laughs> and Are you doing it every day, Sandra? Yes, okay. I've been meditating every day. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a yeah. big, that's a, and so you're reaping the benefits yet, like like you said, it's hard to quantify or like tell us what that it's is. You just hard it just to tell you what it is mm-hmm. exactly. But for instance, I'm not sure I would have gotten to where I got on my art piece for the last, um, exchange, if I hadn't been meditating every day. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, yeah. it's like anything that you're doing, these small little tweaks over time, right? That you, um, it's just cumulative. Right. And then all of a sudden one day it's like, it is, it's just, that's how you're doing things and that, that, that your life feels different. Right. Aww. Yeah, like I feel like I'm improving my brain, like I'm giving my brain some love. 
That's well, the only way I, I can describe it. With it. But I do. Okay. Well, this is good. I, I, and I think I feel like I need proof or something from others. Like you've told me this, Natalie's told me this, like I've heard this, I know it, but I resist. It's like, I'm, we're talking about resisting drinking. Like if I could have just not resisted, why can't I tell me that same advice right now? <laughs> Quit resisting meditation. Um, easier said than done. Yeah, it's um, definitely, you know, it's something that you have to get to where you can prioritize it. Yeah. You know, you can know that intellectually, like I need to prioritize it. But then you have to get to the feeling like, oh, no, I need to prioritize this because I need it. Yeah. I enjoy it. Um, yeah. It's, it, it took some time. It took me a long time to get here though. It certainly didn't happen, you know, in a snap. Well, that's why I like that you're sharing it and that you're talking about it too, you know, and it was just another reminder like, oh, maybe I need to give that a try again. And that's what happens when we share all these tools. Like I'm learning from everybody. Like, what's your thing? What's, how do you drop in? How do you, you know? Yeah. If you would suggest a drop in, what, what would you suggest for meditation? What would be your way in? I tell you my favorite thing, I know some people like the Sarah Blondin and they like people talking. Um, I, I don't dislike them, but they aren't my favorite. My favorite uh, way to meditate, um, and this keeps the chatter to a minimum for me, mm-hmm. is to listen to a theta meditation. I've mentioned this before or yeah. binaural beats. So if you have like the insight timer, you can, there's a search bar, you can type in theta, T-H-E-T-A. Um, I, th- several things will come up again. I don't love the talking where somebody's talking to me. I don't really like that. That's a whole nother distraction for me. Mm-hmm. These are, it's like, uh, sort of a weird music combined with like the sound of a babbling brook mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're timed. So, you know, there's a beginning and an end, you know, right there, it's not going to go on forever. Um, there's 10 minute ones, there's 20 minute ones, there's 50 minute ones. Um, <clears throat> and that, that's, that's, that's how I drop in. That's how I do it. Okay. That's yeah. Good to know. Thank yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's something I need to work on. So that's a good reminder. Good reminder. Um, So my last thing, um, I don't know if if anybody wants to go do this, but I went to, um, we have a wellness center um, not too far away that I went with Natalie last week, my friend Natalie, that I met in hip sobriety school that lives nearby. And they have a nice hammam wet steam room. And so we spent... Like three hours, they're doing steam room and sauna, steam room and sauna. And it was all naked. Um, it was a ladies' day from 9 to 1. Well, me, um, me and Allie weren't entirely comfortable being naked, so we had little thin, thin sarongs that we had that we kind of wore over us. So um, walked into the hammam at some point, which is this wet, delicious steam room, which I love, a steam room. And when I walked in, I'd walked in a little bit after Natalie. And when I walked in, Natalie says, oh, they're singing in here. And immediately my judgment um, reared up like, oh, geez, I don't, why isn't everybody just being quiet? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why, why West County? Why are we? (laughs) (laughs) 
So I just, I sit down, I'm a, I go, well, as long as you don't need me to sing. And um, I kind of sat there for a second. And then I was like, why did you just say that? Like, why did you, why are you being negative? You know, so I had like a little talk with myself. Then the steam came down, so you can't really see anybody. And like mm-hmm. an angel sang. And so they were having a singing circle. Oh, that's so cool. A naked singing circle. <laughs> I love it. With the two girls with the sarongs on. And it made me cry. Oh, it yeah. so beautiful. And I I'm bet. having all of this conversation in my head, like, release your judgment. Why did you judge? Why can't you just receive? This is like this beautiful offering that's happening right now. The power of women. And they're not, they're all naked. Like, just the barest they could possibly be. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And for me to be in my And sarong, singing, the mo- more, I mean, that right? singing is vul- a vulnerable thing to do anyway. Yeah. But then singing actually naked. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, it was so obvious with me with the sarong on not fully comfortable in my nakedness, not fully comfortable being in this circle, not fully comfortable, just not comfortable. Yeah. And it was almost like I wanted to take my sarong off, right? Right. And just release it and be like, here I am, ladies. Well, they go there like every Friday. So I might join them in a future Friday and maybe do this. I love it. I, it just was a really beautiful experience. So I don't know what the thing is that I'm sharing other than to maybe be vulnerable or maybe, um, you know, stop the judgment. I don't know what the thing is other than I tried something outside of my comfort zone and I stayed. I could have walked out and said, not for me. Yeah. I'm really but glad you stayed. I stayed. I'm really glad I yeah. stayed. So yeah. That's, my, that's, that's a good my, one. That's a good one. one. Oh, this is so long. I so appreciate everybody that's hung on this long. Yeah. We really appreciate it. We really do. This is, this was, uh, I I have no words. All the words are gone. Yeah. So thank you for supporting us. You guys can leave us a rating on iTunes if you like us. You guys can do that. Give us a little star. If you don't want to write a review or don't have time for write a review, if you could just leave like a little star rating, just click one of the stars. Mm-hmm. Um, we have, you know, I think 125,000 downloads now and we have like about 75 star ratings. So it'd be really nice if you guys could leave us a, a star rating or a review. I, I think it. what we hear is it helps people find our podcast. Yeah. So just think of it that way or it's a service. Yeah. 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 So that's it. <laughs> All right. So, um, seize the day. Let's go sell. Let's go have some cake. Cake. <laughs> that's what I want (laughs) alright thanks for being my partner in crime yes thanks Tammy bye the unruffled podcast was created and produced by Sandra Primo and Tammy Salas our show is edited and mixed by Steve Hecht original music composed and performed by Caitlin Schumacher Original artwork created by Tammy with the help of graphic designers Chris Aguirre and Amy Lanier. Thanks for listening.